0: You're part of God's. Uh, This week, a lot of our seniors graduated high school. It was big. Some are graduating this upcoming week. They passed high school, and we're really proud of them. We give it up for them. I also passed something this week it was a kidney stone. I know, I know. Why don't we talk about kidney stones more? I feel like I need like a kidney stone survivor button right here. It was my birthday. Uh, Nothing says you're getting old like kidney stones. I'll tell you that. I woke up last Sunday and my back was hurting really bad. I thought I'd thrown out my back, but we were going to give away $100,000 to Hope Works. We're going to baptize Brittany into Christ Jesus. I did not want to miss it. The whole time I was hurting though, and afterwards I was hurting so bad. And so I ended up in the ER huddled, when I got to the ER huddled over the toilet in the waiting room of the ER. I had to burn my clothes after. I mean, that is not a toilet you want to hang out around. It was so it was so bad. Um, I prayed like I've never prayed before. I was praying, just begging God, just crying out to the Lord. He's just like, take this away, God, take this away. I promise I'll never shoot a confetti cannon off in church again. I'll never. (laughs) Okay, I probably will, but please, please, God, I was just begging the Lord for relief. And finally, the sweet relief came from the medicine, and I just want to praise the Lord. Our God is still rolling stones away. <laughs> still rolling stones away. Got to give credit to a friend for that joke. It was good. Oh, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. <clears throat> hey, speaking of getting old, did you know that this church is 94 years old? How's that for a transition? Do you like that? This is a 94, this is a 94-year-old church. And so because of that, we have been praying and just seeking God's guidance on what God wants us to do next. You know, at 94 years old, you kind of hang up your hat. You've done all the stuff. You know, you could retire. That's not what we want to do. We feel like God is calling us to great things. And so our leaders have been praying about that and seeking God's direction. And so today I'm going to share Highland's 2028 vision. It's our 100-year anniversary. This is what we want to do We believe God is calling us to do what we must do for the next six years. I'll be sharing that today. But to get there, let me invite you back to Genesis. So we started our year in Genesis. We got up to Genesis 22. We took a break for a couple months to do a bunch of special Sundays. We're back in Genesis 24 today. What happens at Genesis 24 is this shift, this pivot that takes place in the story of God. Up until this point, the whole story has been focused on God picking and choosing one man, Abraham, promising Abraham he's going to bless him and through him bless the whole world. So the whole story has been focused on Abraham. But it's at this point that the story shifts. And from here on, the rest of Genesis is about what I'm going to call generational handoffs. What well, you might picture is like a, a relay in track and field, maybe the four by 100. So the whole thing to this point has been focused on Abraham's leg of this race. He starts the race off, he's running, he's carrying that baton, but he's about to hand it off to Isaac. And really the rest of the Genesis story is about how the people of God hand off this faith, hand off what it means to be a child of this God and hand that off to the next generation. And so we're going to look at those stories again and again after. And so to, to just show you how it starts, look at Genesis 24.1. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. You know, you go back 12 chapters, and Abraham was already old. but He hadn't been blessed by the Lord yet. He didn't know the Lord. His life was directionless. He comes into relationship with God, and that relationship changes his whole life, causes him to move, causes him to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. This relationship with God that's formed over these chapters changes his whole life. But he's got this son Isaac, and we don't know anything about Isaac's faith at this point. In fact, at the end of Genesis 24, we're told that Isaac goes off into a field to meditate. And it's a really interesting word. We don't know exactly what that word means, but noticeably it is not the word for pray. He's doing something else. You might say that Isaac's kind of like the spiritual but not religious young person. So Abraham's this man of great faith whose encounter with God has totally transformed his life, and that is not Isaac at this point. In fact, Isaac has lost his mom, Sarah, Abraham's wife. She dies in Genesis 23. And what's clear from the end of Genesis 24 is that this has really rattled Isaac. He doesn't know what to do without his mom. And so Abraham has come to that point in his life. He's old and God has blessed him in every way where he's done all the things. He's done everything in his life that he set out to do except one thing, and that one thing is to set up his son to pass on his faith to the next generation to make sure his son has everything that he needs. And so you read the rest of Genesis 24. It's one of the longest passages, longest stories in all of Genesis. We don't have time to read the whole thing today. What you'll see is the shift that's taking place in Abraham's heart. It's not about him anymore. It's about Isaac. I know when that, that shift started for me, it was nine years ago this week. It was on my birthday, nine years ago. That's how I remember. We didn't have any kids at the time. And so um, it was my birthday. And I told Lindsay, I called her up from the office. She said, babe, I'm going to go fishing after my birthday. That's all I want to do on my birthday is I want to go fishing. And she's like, okay, that sounds good. And so there's somebody here at Highland who's got a pond and I go out there and I'm fishing and the fish are biting and my phone keeps buzzing. And I look at it and it's Lindsay. I so the phone, I'm like, hey, babe. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm fishing because it's my birthday. And on your birthday, you get to do what you want to do. And so I'm fishing. And she's like, well, why don't you come on home? And I was like, no, I'm just going to keep fishing. OK, see you. I love you. Ten minutes later, it's ringing again. Babe, it's come home. I just want to celebrate your birthday. Well, honey, the fish are biting. Well, come on home, okay, fine. So I go on home, I come home and I walk in and she gives me this box, it's a rectangular box and it looks like a necklace box. And I think, oh great, I came home for jewelry, yeah. And I open the box and there's this little white stick and it says pregnant, right? And I remember feeling so bad about being so ugly to her. And that was the moment I was never selfish again. Right after that. <laughs> no, that, I I've still struggle with selfishness. But that was the moment, right? That this shift started to take place in my heart. Or, or, or now it's about somebody else, too, at least. I tell the couples that I do premarital counseling with that marriage is about learning how selfish you are. and Then you have kids and you realize how selfish you still are. But like part of growing up in the faith is this shift that takes place inside of you. that you have all you need from God and you start looking to the generation that's to come. And it's not just those who are parents. I can think of one sweet sister here, wonderful, wonderful woman, um, never had children. She's a a beautiful poet. And so she'll often send me uh, poetry that she's written about something that we're studying and and God's word, may she re- send me some out of Genesis. And her poetry is always just filled with this language about sharing the faith with the next generation. She's, she's, not, she's not a parent, but that same shift is happening inside of her. That She's got all that she needs from the Lord. She's been blessed in every way. And what's she doing now? She's looking at how, how do I pass that on to the next generation? So come with me back to Genesis 24. That's the shift that's happening for Abraham. If you read the first six sentences of Genesis 24, what you'll see is that Abraham says the word Lord or God six times in six sentences. This guy is so close to the Lord after decades of journeying with him that he cannot say a single sentence without the Lord's name. Just glorifying God. That's how close he is. But again, we don't know anything about Isaac's faith. And so what Abraham does is he sets off on this mission. He gets one of his servants, he calls his servant to him, and he sends his servant off to find a wife for Isaac, his son. And in this world, that's a really significant deal. And I, I, come with me and look what, look what the servant says Abraham told him in Genesis 24, 40. He says, he replied, the Lord, so this is now Abraham talking, before whom I have walked faithfully, Will send his angel with you and will make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son. Pay attention there. You might just leave that on the screen for a moment. What's he saying? He's setting this servant, sending this servant out on this big mission. And Abraham's not only going to send his servant on this mission, he's going to send the servant with 10 camels that are loaded down with treasure all of his treasure are following this servant on this mission to find Isaac, this wife. So he's gonna send his servant on this mission. He's gonna load him up with all the treasure and goods that he needs. He's making big sacrifices for the sake of Isaac. He's sending him with all this stuff so that he can find a bride for Isaac to set him up for the next generation. But not just because he wants him to have a wife, as wonderful and as glorious as that is. What does he say? The reason he's sending him on this journey is to prove to Isaac that the God that he has journeyed with his whole life will be faithful to his son Isaac if he journeys with him as well. You know, this whole act, and this whole story, and it's a beautiful story of finding this wife for Isaac. The whole story, though, is not so much about their marriage as it is this divine human partnership here's the things I'm going to do. Here's the thing I'm going to sacrifice for the next generation. But none of that matters unless God does what he's going to do and makes this a success. But I've got a part to play in it. And so Abraham says, I'm going to do my part. You know, this whole quest for Abraham is this attempt to prove to his son. The God I have spent my life serving will be faithful to you if you do the same thing. I promise. It'll be worth it. And of all that Isaac needs, a wife, an inheritance, that proof is what he needs most. This God is worth it. Now, the Lord or God, the name of the Lord is on Abraham's lips. We see that. It's not on Isaacs, and we're living in a time when the Lord is not on the lips of a lot of young people. This probably isn't a surprise to you. Barna did research on this. They found in 2011 that 56% of young people who grow up in church, we're not even talking about those who haven't been exposed to the good news of Jesus, 56% of those who grow up in church in 2011 left the faith. 56%. In 2019, they did the same study. You know what they found? The numbers are not getting better. 64% in 2019 of young people who grew up in Protestant churches left the faith. Okay, that is discouraging enough. And it's tempting to think, man, I'm so thankful that's happening out there and it would never happen here. We had research done in 2019 on churches of Christ and you know what they found? 85% of young people who grew up in churches of Christ, left the faith by the time they were 25. Dropped out of church altogether. Well, Caveat, we're doing much better than that here. Praise God. Praise God. But this number should wake us up. This should wake us up and get our attention. Abraham is determined this will not be true for his son Isaac. This will not be true for his son Isaac. And so he recognizes that he has got a part to play in passing on this faith to his son. God's going to do his part, but unless Abraham does his, this is not happening for Isaac, right? He may go the way of that 85%. So he sends all these resources, he gives, he sacrifices for the sake of his son. Now, here's what happens in the rest of Genesis. We're going to explore this over the next few weeks. That one by one, every generation after this does the same thing. And that's what I mean by the story begins to pivot or hinge around how the faith is handed off from one generation to the next. One generation to the next. And this becomes so central to what it means to be the people of God that every generation afterwards is doing that. In fact, it's reflected in the prayers of God's people. So we've been praying as an eldership and staff over Psalm 78. Look at this. This is a prayer of God's people. Listen what they're praying for. They're not praying for somebody who's sick somebody who needs to get better, and those are great prayers to pray. We should absolutely pray those, but listen to what they're praying as a community. Listen to what they're praying. This is Psalm 78, 4. We will not hide them, the wonders of the Lord. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. So what are they doing? They're making a promise to God about what their purpose and covenant is with the Lord. Listen, we will not hide the deeds of the Lord from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. And they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They wouldn't be like their ancestors, a stubborn, a rebellious generation whose hearts weren't loyal to God, whose spirits weren't faithful to him. And do you hear the language from the Abraham story? Like they believe their purpose as the people of God is to pass this precious thing on to the next generation to celebrate, to declare the wonders, the awe, the might of our God so that the next generation would know this God, would stay close to Him, would give their lives to Him, and then ultimately tell the next generation after them. He goes on in the psalm to describe a generation where this didn't happen, and this is what he says about them. They were sinning, they did not believe, and their days ended in futility or meaninglessness. They had no purpose in their lives. i tell you what, that could be written about today. Is that not a description of a world without God? Jay Shapley, one of our shepherds, told a story to our elders the other day, and we were praying about this and talking about this. He said, one of Highlands great preachers from the past, I think it was Harold Hazlett, preached a sermon years ago where he made this point, and Jay said, I never forgot the point. Harold said that if one generation worldwide failed to tell, to tell the story of our Lord, if one generation worldwide failed to tell the story of our Lord to the next generation, the story would be lost. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe. Maybe. There's this story in Second Kings where that has taken place. And this guy, Josiah, remember this? Finds copies of the Bible and they, they read this and they're dumbfounded by it. And they start to reform and revival breaks out in Josiah's time. So yeah, it's possible that if one generation didn't tell the next generation, they may stumble upon God's word and have some kind of revival in their midst. But pay attention. Every other generation around Josiah is ruined. Every other generation is caught up in sin, idolatry, and exile, wandering aimlessly in the world without purpose. Sinning, that description in Psalm is absolutely the description of them. So, yeah, it's possible if one generation fails to tell the next, they may still have faith, but that's a, a game of odds or chance you don't want to play. So, let me, let me show you something here. A little bit more data, and then I want to I share with you our vision did you know that churches of Christ on the whole look a lot like Abraham? And by that I mean old. Okay? Let me tread lightly here. (laughs) Did you know that in churches of Christ, 60% are over 50? Okay? 75% are over 40, and let's be honest, I am not the next generation anymore. Kidney stones, right? I'm not the next generation. When we talk about the next generation, we're not talking about me. So if you include the 30s in this, in this list, look at this, 87% of those in churches of Christ are over the age of 30. 87%. Again, this number is not true at Highland's. We have a very even demographic breakdown at Highland. But you think about the movement that we're a part of, a movement that I love, a movement that is responsible for my faith, a movement that is probably responsible for the faith of many of you. But if we look at our movement across the world, this is how the data bears out right now. The 87% are over the age of 30. And you know what that has meant in our movement? It has meant rapid decline. 2,000 people from Churches of Christ disappear from our ranks every month 2000 whether by death or moving away leaving the church of christ think look around 2000 sorry 2 highlands disappear every month 2000 souls disappear every month nine churches of christ close their doors every month nine churches of christ so you look at that data about our age shift in churches of Christ, our, our heaviness towards the later end of life, and you could be discouraged. And I'll be honest, some of that information is discouraging, but I look at that and what I see is that right there are the seeds of revival because the people with the most to give for the sake of the next generation are where? Right here. Right here. If. If if they will believe that that is what God is calling them to do, then revival is possible. It's possible. You know, we are a 90 year old church. So 94 year old church, and there's no kind of way to slice it, except that we're old as churches go. Most churches don't live this long. The life cycle of the church is typically much shorter than 94 years. And so you know what we could do at 94? We could retire. That sounds great, doesn't it? Just kind of like hang up our hats and enjoy these last few years of our life. But we feel like God is calling us to much greater things than that. 94 is almost the exact same age that Abraham was when he started having kids. (laughs) Like this is the time. You didn't know, this is the time. This is the time. Trust be in investing with all that we have in the faith of the next generation. And so our vision for 2028 that we believe is from the Lord, your elders and staff, we have prayed desperately. We have sought God's word for guidance on this. We believe that what God has called us to do for the next six years is to build up the next generation. If somebody asks you, hey, what are y'all doing at Highland? In the next six years, your answer is simple. What is it? we're building up the next generation with everything that we have we're going to build up the next generation so that they know the god that we have given our lives to for 94 years is worth it is worth it and there's all kinds of benchmarks to this that I'm going to share over the next couple weeks and months, benchmarks that we are going to attempt to target for the sake and glory of God. So benchmarks related to discipleship of young people, to making of disciple makers or builders here at Highland. There's an emphasis on vulnerable people in, our, in the next generation. So uh, our, our friends with special needs, adoption and foster care, and there's also an emphasis on church planning and missions. I'm gonna share all those benchmarks over the next couple of weeks. What I'm gonna ask you to do is just to pray. I just want to ask you to join our leaders in praying. God, if you have led us to this, and I'm a part of this, what does it mean for me? Now, some of you are thinking, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but what about me? I'm not the next generation, and I get that. Remember, kidney stones. So I'm not, this is not me either. What about me? I'll tell you a story the other day. This is last year. I was coaching my son's baseball team, and um, we were not good. And uh, we were actually really bad. And um, we went up against this other team that was one of the best teams in the league, and the coach on that team was a preacher at another church in town. And so there's nothing worse than a playing a preacher. You just don't, you don't want to do that. And so we're getting just, just creamed and it's late in the last inning and I'm up there pitching and striking my boys out and I, I, throw, this, I throw this pitch to one of our boys, third, third pitch strike, he swings and misses and he just whiffs it. I mean, he just whiffs it. And the coach on the other team, the preacher, he goes, oh, I think he tipped that. I think it was a foul ball. Why don't you throw him another one? And I'm like, no, he didn't. He whiffed it. And he's, he says, no, I'm pretty sure that he tipped it. I'll, okay, uh, yeah, okay, I'll throw him another one. And I throw it and he hits it and gets on base and next boy up strikes out. But again, he says, hey, why don't you throw him one more? And then I realized we had become that preacher's mission. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. Yeah. Uh, No, you know how that felt? That did not feel good. And that's the, okay, that's the thing about growing in the faith is you want to come to the point where you're not the mission anymore, you're the missionary, right? You want to come to the point where you're not uh, asking somebody to bless you, but you're blessing somebody else. You want to come to that point that Abraham's at. We believe the best thing for your soul is to invest all that you have in somebody else's. We believe that's the best thing for your soul. For us to do this, to build up the next generation for the next six years, it's going to take It's not going to happen without you but above all what we believe is it's going to take the lord we believe he goes before us and he will make this journey a success we believe it let me pray over you god i thank you for your people here in this place i thank you for your church god we were discouraged by some of the numbers we've seen i'm so encouraged when i look here locally at what you're doing at the highland church of christ I'm thankful for those two baptisms that we just saw, those two young people who gave themselves to you this last month. We praise you, God, that we're a part of that forever work of your people, of passing on the faith to the next generation. We wanna do that, God, to your glory. We want you to be glorified by what we do and offer for the sake of the next generation. Would you, God, do your part and make, the, make this a success. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.